Welcome, friends. It is episode number five of Tokenomics. The line goes up. What is the problem with NFTs anyways edition? I'm here with Anton Bachman, principal at Play Ventures. Mishka Katkoff, the CEO of Savage Game Studios. In the flesh. And myself, the This Week in Games punching bag, Ethan Levy. Uh, this week... <laughs> We're talking Void Runners. We're talking Sandbox. We're talking Champions Ascension. We're talking Immutable. And we're dissecting Line Goes Up, the two and a half hour video essay your Twitter feed pretended to watch. All that and more on this week's Tokenomics. So um, this is this is where the ad break goes. Do we have an ad break yet? Uh, Ethan, you haven't earned it. <laughs> I haven't earned an <laughs> it's ad only break with yet. The, uh, okay. If, the, the, the goal was that we keep this kind of like the pilot running until we get to the cruising altitude, and then we're inviting advertisers in once we get the regular cadence, and we are in a regular cadence, and we are crossing yeah. a pretty high threshold of listeners. Um, All right, so, so in the, in the future, break. you could have a, a, an ad read by myself or Anton, whoever's voice you prefer, but in, in the present, I'm going to do a plug for a, a friend of mine, uh, did you know that Cliffy B has an autobiography coming out this November? Uh, the crea- creator of Jazz Jackrabbit, the uh, man uh, creative director behind Unreal and um, Gears of War, and now an acclaimed Broadway producer of all things. Uh, you can pre-order it on Audible. I pre-ordered it today. It's coming out in November. And I'm plugging this book because I'm hoping to... Uh, uh, goad Cliffy B into doing a, a tokenomics podcast because I don't know what his opinions on NFTs are, but I think they'll be really amusing and I think our audience would enjoy them. All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> on that note, on that let's note, get going. <laughs> let's do some news. Uh, Anton, why don't you go first? Yeah. So, um, one of the more maybe eye popping ones during the past couple of days uh, and some of the larger fundraisers in the space again was um, Immutable. Uh, the the layer two solution uh, that raised raised 200 million in a in a recent round led by led by Temasek, where the company was valued at 2.5 billion. 2.5 billion, it's <clears throat> crazy. That's a, the, that's a bit, yeah, that, that's a that's a very nice one, very nice one for the team. Other investors include Mireille Asset Management, uh, Parify Capital, Declaration Partners, Tencent, among others. Uh, and um, I think this immutable is, is one that frequently comes up when, when I discuss with founders and, 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 and people who run studios on, on sort of which which chain they should be building on. Usually these teams are looking into po- Polygon, Solana, Immutable X, uh, some alternative ones and trying to figure out where, where it would make sense to build. Uh, and um, immutable, at least it seems they, they wanted to position the product really closely to actually be working with game developers. But um, but I think there's probably still still some work to do in, in kind of onboarding. They, they, to, to my knowledge, they, they are working with, with a bunch of studios already. Um, but um, I took a look a few weeks ago uh, on ImmutaScan, which, which which scans all of the um, all the transactions happening on, on Immutable X. And, and even though the volume is very similar to what's happening on on Solana or Polygon, uh, it was quite clear that that most most of the activity that is happening on Immutable X is tying into two of the in-house developed products. So, so the TCG Gods Unchained, 
which has already been out there for a few years, as well as the trading around the NFTs in Guild of Guardians, which is looking to be this dungeon crawler crawler RPG. So very, very skewed yeah. top heavy in terms of transaction volume. But um, we'll I think they, they, they uh, positioning that one as a mobile first kind of Diablo like I heard uh, Derek say they have 60 people working on that, which uh, it's a lot of people kind of nice. scares me. I, I've been uh, as a competitor, it scares me. I've I've been meaning to pick up a Guild of Guardians champion or two. Uh, maybe it'll be my new hotness in the future. Anthem, can you explain to me like what what is the decision between choosing different chains? Like, why would somebody go with Solana over Ethereum? Like, Ethe- is Ethereum no, a chain I, or a coin? Uh, or like, like yes, it's, I think this is a whole future episode. <laughs> God damn it! Like whenever like a, I ask the simplest question, it's, it's a like four-hour discussion. Oh, this is a big. Question. It's a four-hour <laughs> discussion. You open, the, you open the Pandora's box on any of these things, and uh, the result you're getting okay. is, guys, that we need a separate episode to tackle that. But but but, 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 in, but in, okay. in short, when we you probably heard us talking about layer ones and layer twos. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. With layer yeah. ones, we would refer to that sort of most bottom layer of, of different blockchains and layer twos are usually then derivative projects of those layer ones that sort of um, change some parameters to make them either more scalable or, or change some other attribute about them. Uh, and um, in this case, Immutable uh, has, has, has been, so the Ethereum would be the inspiration here, similar to how, how Polygon essentially is, is EVM compatible. And what, what that means essentially is that it runs on the same solidity code as Ethereum. So what, 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 why, why it would make sense to, to build a layer two, for example, based on, based on Ethereum is that when something is deployed on Ethereum, that same code, could, given that it's open source, it can also be deployed uh, on that layer two solution. But when it comes to game developers, deciding on which ones they're going to build. I think it has to do with kind of how, if we look at a spectrum of what's a plug and play solution and what and where you still need a bit more kind of custom development. Uh, but that also results in the stuff that requires more custom development, let's say Polygon or, or Solana, which is then not, a, 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 that's not EVM compatible. So that runs on a completely different language being, being Rust in this case. Uh, that those open up a bit more more freedom to the developers, but um, but then uh, if I would compare those, an, an short, a different episode, <laughs> a different, a different episode. But, yeah. but there's all, but, but there's also a bit less freedom in in terms of, yeah. for example, yeah. introducing uh, introducing a governance token system. An example of why you might want to use Immutable, I believe they're either low gas fee or no gas fee when you're running on Immutable, and so like. If you were running on Ethereum, you as an operator would probably never price a hero at $5 because with the gas fees, that $5 purchase would cost someone maybe $25, maybe $105, depending upon the time of day just to make that transaction. Whereas if you're on Immutable, where um, I can't remember if it's just extremely low or no gas fees, like selling a hero for a dollar makes sense because it might be a one cent gas fee service charge on that transaction. So it enables much, um, it enables you to uh, reach a much broader audience price wise than being on, on a layer one, on Ethereum. And this is, this is evident currently if we look at the transaction activity of, of cards in, in gods and chain where there's a huge volume of cards being traded, but for smaller amounts, given that the underlying infrastructure supports these 
low-value trans or makes makes low-value transactions economically feasible. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I promise not to ask you. <laughs> you can ask more questions, especially when uh, ask ask more questions. That's why you're here. You yeah. you represent the audience. <laughs> Um, the dummy. <laughs> <laughs> Your words, not mine. Um, <laughs> some, some, some of my news items. It, it's been a, a while since we've done one of these with the three of us. Um, so I've, I've got a bunch, but uh, one, mm -hmm. one I want to say: Void Runners is a new uh, game project by uh, some friends of mine. Uh, they just opened up their Discord, and they're doing something really interesting on their Discord that I wanted to point out. Um, they announced it on Twitter that you can go to their Discord. One of the biggest reasons to join an early community is to get on the allow list so you can make a purchase in their first minting or their first presale. And uh, Void Runners actually has a text-based RPG that you can play once a day, or a text adventure game. You can play once a day on Discord, and if you win it, you get a spot on the allow list. So I tried yesterday for the first time. I didn't get a spot, and I'm going to play again today, and I just think it's a really interesting way um, to help foster some activity in your early community before the game's live. Um, and it's something that we're doing, we're doing something very similar on LHU that I'm, I'm excited about. So uh, really well done on that, that uh, adventure game for the Void Runners team. Um, there was a GamesBeat article about the Sandbox. The Sandbox metaverse hits 2 million users and launches Alpha Season 2. Um, some of the highlights from this, uh, that they have 2 million registrations after a 13-month registration drive. Uh, the Alpha Season began uh, last week on March 3rd. It's a four-week event with 35 experiences. You know, the Sandbox is kind of a Roblox, Minecraft-like virtual world with UGC built on the blockchain and it has some eye-popping land sales, um, a lot of business deals, and I'm kind of eager to see what the actual experience for players is and how players respond. Um, I think the highlight in the article was Snoop Dogg's foreplay, a sneak peek at the rap legend Snoopverse um, is one of the activities. If you're an electronic music nerd like me, you might know Blondish, where one of the uh, clubs in Sandbox will have new tracks from uh, from Blondish, and then uh, my I, I'm guessing you guys probably don't know who Richie Houghton uh, Plastic Man is, but he's like a techno pioneer. Um, and I uh, the highlight of my week was I tweeted him because the uh, the press release said. Uh, the world uh, outposts in the world include Warner Music Group, Ubisoft, The Rabbids, Gucci, Adidas, Dead Mouse, Steve Aoki, Richie Houghton, The Smurfs, and Care Bears, and some more. And I was like, finally, a metaverse that allows me to indulge in my love of Richie Houghton and of the Care Bears at the same time. So uh, it's it's going to be my life's mission now to get one of my favorite DJs on on this show, just because uh, he's involved in the sandbox. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see where where the platform itself is also going in terms of the gameplay and the engagement. I mean, the company, I think at the end of last year, they announced an, an almost 100 million equity raise also for the company. Yeah. Uh, with SoftBank yeah. uh, participating in that round. So obviously they're sitting on a big, big pile of capital at the moment that they need to be deploying. So um, I think we'll be following with, with eagerness this year on, on, on what Sandbox will be doing with, yeah. with that pile of cash. We'll, we'll definitely... 
try and get someone from the sandbox team on in the future and and i want to do some deep dives before the season's over um uh one one big event uh from probably a lot of the listeners are familiar with jam city uh jam city's champions ascension which is its first blockchain based game had its prime eternal presale it was a three-day event uh there was a one-day sale for allow list holders like myself where they sold 2500 champions for 0.3 eth then there was a two-day dutch auction where the price started at 1 ETH and dropped over two days to 0.4 ETHs. Uh, most of the sales happened in that last hour or two at the 0.4 ETH range. Uh, they didn't sell out. They sold, in total, 7,622 of the 10,000 Prime Eternals. They say Prime Eternals are their strongest, and they're never minting them again. Um Plug for the Deconstructor Fun Slack. If you're not in our Slack, you should apply and join. Uh, in the crypto channel, there was kind of live <laughs> blogging about it. But yeah. o- only if you're senior. Only if I, you're senior. We yeah. get so many applications that that you have to be five years, five yeah. years in the industry, or or a senior position. So we we get a ton and no vendors. Yeah. Uh, I get it. You're at a high position at Meta or Google or any. And we appreciate that, but not on, on yeah. the deconstructor. It's it's a channel. it's a private community with really high quality conversations. So if you you know like that's that's why I really enjoy participating. Like we were basically live blogging it in the crypto channel, and it was like me and uh, I I apologize if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, since we've never met. But me and Ina Dogaru from Mythic, um, and Lawrence from uh, MobilityWare were basically posting all weekend about this. And uh, if you're an experienced uh, game developer, uh, it's a great place to be. Um, two more quick news stories. I'll go real quick before I get into our topic. So, uh, Game Seven DAO, <laughs> sorry, Game Seven DAO and Gitcoin announced a hundred k open gaming initiative. Go over to the Game Seven DAO Twitter, check it out. Uh, they're doing kind of a matching grant where uh, if you're going to do an open source project that benefits the crypto game community, you can get matching funds of up to $15,000 for an individual project. Uh, Deadline's March 16th. If you end up applying, uh, reach out on LinkedIn. Let me know. And uh, fine. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just getting ready to my piece. (laughs) Ethan. Run this! Don't don't listen to me. Don't watch thought, me. Yeah. Like you're, um, you're always like giving me space. Yeah. Don't give me don't space. give you space. All right. <laughs> final final. I just wanted to congratulate my friends over at Laguna Games for the Crypto Unicorns RBW token launch. Uh, they did a token launch on Copper and raised about fourteen and a half million in USDC to launch their RBW Ooh. token. And Crypto Unicorns has done a great job with really well organized land sales character pre-sales running a community this token launch like this is again i want to get them on an episode in the future because they're really um from what i observe in discord it looks like doing a best-in-class job and there's a lot to learn uh from the crypto unicorns team and laguna games so yeah they should definitely come in and then talk about that because it's a relatively new company i think bitcraft has invested in them uh yeah bitcraft is an investor uh yeah some others um, yeah and i recall i recall these guys these guys um came came in with a free-to-play background yeah yes jeff witt is one of the yeah. uh, one of the guys he's been he, he wrote to uh to the newsletter prior uh before it became a dof newsletter so uh, he, he's he's a yeah smart dude 
Um, hey, I, I don't have any news updates, but I have a question yeah. for y'all. Now, this is related to, to the news. So I'm interested in where do you think the price of crypto and, and the, uh, the effect of the war and sanctions will, you know, mm. will, will lead the price of crypto as well as the, uh, the Web3 gaming? Because the way I'm seeing it, Russia produces pretty much or mines 10% of all Bitcoin. Uh, I don't know how, how it is with, with other currencies, but it's a relatively significant. In, in comparison, U.S. is 35, and I think Russia is like the second or third largest in terms of, uh, in terms of crypto mining. The second part is that there is most likely, if I were a betting man, I'm not, I'm an investing man. Uh, uh, which is, is a legal form of sanctioned betting for rich people. Correct, correct. <laughs> so... so so uh, in the sense of uh, energy crisis, uh, which is most likely to happen, at least if you read any news, uh, then the prices of energy are going to further increase. They're already at an all-time high for, uh, not, not all-time time, but almost all-time high for gas already in the U.S., um, gasoline. And then gas prices in, in Europe are phenomenally high. There's, uh, there's oil barrel prices are really, really high. So naturally, when you have energy costs going up, that leads to, well, to the highly energy inefficient world of crypto, uh, you know, being not as favorable. So that means the gas, co gas costs as well as mining would go down. Now, what am I correct with my assumptions and, and what are the effects on the whole uh, Web3? So maybe I think this will be more about throwing a couple of guesses here and there. Yeah, but, um, of course, we're just trying to predict. But I think I think some of the initial reactions to, to what was happening in Ukraine would be that sort of we would see, and especially when there were threats that, that sort of Russia would be cut out of SWIFT, uh, that this would be kind of an interesting point for Bitcoin as well to potentially see a bit more adoption. Now, as... Um, Russian equities obviously took a big hit, uh, among many other equities. Um, I think we still see Bitcoin is still quite Bitcoin is still correlated to what's happening in, in the rest of the market. So it, for most investors, it's a risk asset that obviously they need to they need to get rid of when they need to cover their other losses. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't think it dilutes from from kind of the long term vision of of becoming a becoming a store of value at some point. I personally, I'm not. I'm not the biggest believer in that it will become kind of a transactional asset for everyday use, but but more more sort of uh, the true the use case behind it could be could be a new more efficient version of gold, essentially. When it mm -hmm. comes to how this affects the operations, uh, there is a there is a good amount of mining activity happening, and obviously not this concerns Bitcoin mainly, not not really any of the other any of the other assets or any of the other crypto networks, but. Um, um, likely then, I, I, th I think the risk that they might be facing is kind of tied to to the rest of what might happen to to both Russian companies and, and Russia-based subsidiaries. I think now there might be a risk of nationalization uh, in case in mm -hmm. case Putin gets really mad about things. Uh, and obviously, well, he's not mad yet. <laughs> if he gets even more, <laughs> if he gets even more insane uh, to, okay. to what's happening, but. Um, I think that could potentially pose a risk for them. Um, I would then predict that obviously then the the share of the mining activity in other key key areas will increase and the mining pools will move will move there 
resources elsewhere to focus on that. But um, I think ultimately we'll have to see how how long of a crisis it is uh, across across both and the whole mm. financial system in Russia as well and everything that's tied to Russia. And, but um, we might see we might see it. It's an interesting question posing kind of what what the increased yeah. energy energy costs will. Yeah, energy crisis, not even increased cost, but we're talking about crisis for a short term. Yeah. You know, there's always going to be more output because the price is going to drop. On the other but hand, short term, we're looking at energy exactly. crisis. On the other hand, it's a good incentive to push proof of proof of stake forward so yeah. we can get rid of energy. Uh, yeah, energy I, I'm not a. I I'm. Uh, I I don't really uh, be, uh, endorse what the Bitcoin network does currently. I think. Like actually, this is one of the biggest for our main topic. This is one of my big, biggest areas of agreement uh, with the doc, the video essay that we'll talk about. Is that there was a lot of anti-Bitcoin sentiment, and I found myself agreeing with all of it because I think it's really bad for the environment. And I, uh, I'm obviously devastated by the many effects the war is having on the citizens of these two countries. And and Mishka, you wrote really beautifully about it in in the newsletter. Um, and everybody should check that out. But like, if there's an energy crisis and that makes uh, reduces the amount of Bitcoin mining happening in the world, to me that's a positive effect because I think Bitcoin mining is just like a waste of our uh, planet's natural resources. And because uh, currently, yeah. currently it's an arms race on who gets to to win yeah. the who gets to win the block rewards. But there's likely also a cap on how secure it actually needs to be in order yeah. to function properly. But currently, right. obviously, the incentives are driving towards increased and increased uh, usage. But yeah. but but we'll get to that point later because I do think it's also worth to discuss that if also the, also the question about how energy is being produced and if Bitcoin can move to renewables. But we'll we'll, we'll get back to that when when we get. Yeah, I'd be totally happy with solar powered Bitcoin <laughs> mining. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. So I have a prediction in that. I think um, I believe that most of the mining will move from from Russia to Kazakhstan. I think Russians can still relocate to Kazakhstan. The the language is the same. Kazakhstan is already pretty high in in uh, in Bitcoin mining. mining. Activity, not yeah. not super high, but in top ten. And I think they can buy Russian energy at the uh, the market value, which nobody else is buying at except for Kazakhstan and Chinese. So I think that will be a pretty much like the uh, the crypto capital. I don't remember the, the, what are the uh, fuck what's the capital of Kazakhstan Almaty maybe uh, so that, that's the uh, the new that's the new Miami right. of uh, right. of crypto so uh, and regarding I, I just remembered a joke so not, not I hope it's not a Bruno joke I'm trying no this is not a Bruno not Bruno a what's my call yeah this is a, a Borat what, what I'm trying to make today, it so. I'm trying to make it through this without a really bad <laughs> Borat joke. <laughs> okay, so uh, it, it was funny thing happened today because I was uh, I was supposed to do a talk uh, at, at our building, which is like a startup, you know, normal startup center. There's a bunch of startup companies, and I was invited to do a talk about raising your second round. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know why, but and I don't know why I wanted to help, so I said yes, and I totally forgot about it. <laughs> Naturally, I didn't have any deck or anything, so just kind of came in, you know, guns blazing, <laughs> uh, did my talk, and the first question after the talk was. Something about like, hey, um, yeah, thanks for the talk. Um, what do you think is going to happen with free to play? Is 
is the blockchain game going to overtake my crypto question? Yeah. So I answered that. All right. Then the next like, question is like, talk to my friend, yeah, the crypto the kid who believes, yes, yeah. it will. So the next question <laughs> is like, I have a game that is being launching on Steam and I kind of have it. Like, what do you think about doing a, an NFT version of that? I'm like, dude, like I said zero about right. <laughs> blockchain or crypto. And all the, like most of the questions were about crypto. Yeah. So, world so it, was, it was pretty crazy. That's <laughs> funny. Um, Anyway, let's let the line go. Okay, up. so don't ask me about crypto. Also. Yeah, so uh, our our headline topic today is the video essay line goes up. The problem with NFTs. Uh, it's had over six million views on YouTube. It's by uh, Dan Olson, who goes by Foldable Human on Twitter. Um, he makes a lot of excellent uh, video essay content. You can support him on Patreon, and um, it's a two and a half hour video essay, and I listened to it twice. And, uh, and I did it because Mishka said, we have to do this, the, an episode on this documentary. All, all these people I know are talking about it. H- how many times did you watch it, Mishka? Uh, so, so for the research purpose and the, uh, the value of this podcast, I decided not right. to watch you it. Decided. So that I can, be, I, can, I can be relating to the audience mm-hmm. of this podcast that most of, like probably 85% yeah. haven't watched this amazing documentary, which we have a link yeah. in the description below. So I'm going to be kind of representing you right, guys here. Right. And I'm going to be asking the questions yeah. <laughs> on your behalf while the, yeah. the smart Anton and smart Ethan right. will, will tell their opinions. Anton, did you watch it so. or listen to it all the way through? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I did. Great. Cool. Yeah, I I listened to it twice. I even had it transcribed, and then I haven't corrected the transcription yet. But if I'm really ambitious, I will correct the transcription and post it up on my blog so people can read it because it might be faster for you to read it. Um, so I would say it's it's a really well done video essay, and I would categorize it as an anti-capitalist takedown of NFTs and the crypto industry as a whole. It's not just about the gaming sector, it goes through a lot of history of crypto, it mentions Axie, it mentions YGG, it mentions DAOs, all things we've talked about and will continue to talk about. Um, personally, I, I found it a little exhausting to listen to, just the, the energy of it was like very intense and uh, uh, Anton, do you agree on yeah, that? Yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think the, the essayist sets, sets the tone for mm-hmm. the whole documentary quite early on, starting yeah. with um, drawing parallels to, 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 to the, to MBA, to the mortgage backed securities also during yeah. the financial crisis by kind of foreshadowing that kind of biggest, it's called the, the sort of the full, the full yeah, theory. We'll, we'll uh, talk, then, we'll talk about kind that. Of going into the, the chronological, chronological, uh, series of events with how, how kind of Bitcoin was born from that disdain. And, yeah. And then kind so, of going through the negative arguments, then moving on to Ethereum, and then moving on to the NFTs. But um, but yeah, it's um, obviously it was a nuanced take. Yeah, I I I highly recommend listening to it. Whether you, I think a lot of people will actually agree with the majority of what's said, or even if you're, uh, if you disagree with it, it's it's well researched. It's very smart. Uh, you'll learn a lot. I learned a lot from listening to it. Um, but the, for me personally, as a listener, kind of the anti-capitalism angle of it was a little tough. Uh, it was just challenging. Um, yeah, I think uh, there's one important disclaimer I'd like to give yeah. that even yeah. though I also, I was also actually, 
I was also surprised in how much I found myself agreeing with, with some of his points. Mm-hmm. But there is, I would say, still a certain level of cherry picking things to discuss. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and um, which easily leads to kind of that one video providing a big confirmation bias for, for anyone that is is listening to it. But there are some very valid points and very valid point, uh, sort of better valid criticism uh, on these things. But I think it views, and we'll get into it a bit later as well, but it, it, it views things very much from a snapshot point of view mm-hmm. and, and maybe sort of how things are now it doesn't maybe explore too much on what this could be in the best case or what could be the best case of this stuff yeah i think i would have liked to see a bit more parallels to the early days of the internet when when uh, most of uh, most of what was happening was related to 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 either adult content or, or any criminal activity yeah uh, which, yeah, which I... is also something when i speak to people so obviously i didn't relive that era the same way as many sort of older uh practitioners of of, of 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 the craft but um but still when, when you get down to the weeds people remember that there was actually quite a lot of that also early yeah on. i i think you and i both have a really long-term view on the potential of this set of technologies to enable innovation in the game space and in other technology sectors. And this video almost felt like if you did a two and a half, I guess it would have been like if you made a self-distributed VHS tape, a uh, takedown of bulletin board forums in the era of dial up internet and was like all this pornography, all these scams, this is why this technology is going nowhere. Right? Like it, it that's what it feels like to me taking that long view is that it's kind of, all the criticisms are valid, but it's missing the the future potential. Um, exactly, there's a number of suboptimal things, but they work really well. So then the follow up should be okay. What 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 are the good things that we could do with this? But um, but yeah, let's dive into. Yeah. So j- just to give you Mishka and and the user like a flavor of what I mean when I say like he's anti-capitalist in the critis in the analysis, right? There are phrases that'll be like um he argues that crypto is not dismantling corrupt systems or he says crypto enthusiasts say they're bringing the benefits of Silicon Valley investors to the poor and unbanked and and they're not. And I think that the um I mean, what I, what I think he does a good job of is he's taking um, what the early adopters and early enthusiasts of cryptos are saying at face value and basically over and over again saying, like, you are falling short of your ideals. And in fact, this tech, mm-hmm. this technology doesn't do what you claimed it was going to do or why you're excited about it. But here I need to, here I want to chime in again. And, and just, yeah. because I, I think he was discounting quite a lot in terms of also these these early promises that have been there yeah. and if, if we talk about the topic of kind of obviously a big pitch early on with bitcoin has been and crypto in general has been about kind of banking the unbanked and the yeah. underbanked and um, i think he was quite dismissive uh, to that and i think it's easy for us if i look at the nordic countries for example we have perfectly mm-hmm. well working banking infrastructure we have our, our versions of cash apps, etc. It's very sort of frictionless to move money around. We have the neo banks who are kind of putting up a nice UI on top of obviously quite crappy infrastructure, but it still it, it works. I mean, and, and it, it, we we can we can do all of our, our our things with that. But then 
consider that there's roughly 2 billion people that are either un unbanked or underbanked and don't have access to basic financial services because of the countries where they live in. Uh, then sometimes I get to that, I get the counter argument that, okay, well, they're not in control of, of that big of a part of the money flows. But I wouldn't see that as a as an argument that's viable enough to completely ignore that, because if you're offering a fully open financial system to them, and because everyone is anyone who has internet access is able to 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 get a Bitcoin address, which is the mm -hmm. equivalent of a bank account in that world, and I think we're just people in developed countries dismiss those aspects a bit too easily, uh, and I think he was also uh, dismissing it a bit in this in this essay. Yeah. Yeah, here's a, a, a quote on that. He go, he says, cryptocurrency does nothing to address 99% of the problems with the banking industry because those problems are patterns of human behavior, their incentives, their social structures, and their modalities. The problem is what people are doing to others, not that the, build, that the building they're doing it in has the word bank on the outside, right? And so like he's, as you're saying, he's taking a... Um, the type of position on what the problems with the banking sector are based on being in the United States, right? Mm. And that if you, um, if I'm understanding part of what you're saying is that the, uh, e even if it hasn't solved this problem yet, the ability to bring financial services to someone in a rural part of Southern Africa that currently does not have any banking services, like if crypto can solve those problems it can make a meaningful difference in real people's lives exactly uh, and um, it's not to say that it will do it but at least at least there's a fair shot now yeah. in kind of getting getting more independence around those things that where you where these people where these in people in these countries have traditionally had a really hard time in in kind of getting access to these services uh, and um, that's what i think he was he was just missing a bit uh, yeah in the discussion and and also I I mean he, he he did acknowledge in the in the essay that you know people in Venezuela and some other uh, Latin American countries uh, are using it but he 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 can turn it in a way that it's been the promise that it will revolutionize everything in these countries but maybe he forgot to mention that okay but people are actually using it it doesn't mean that everybody is using it yet but people are using it uh, I think right. some people are tired of stuffing dollars inside of their mattresses uh, and. Um, now there's something, so even though, uh, even though it's volatile, uh, take a look at the local currency and see how volatile that is. Uh, and um, so I think it's it's more about kind of giving options to people. Um, mm -hmm. I'm I wouldn't I wouldn't personally I wouldn't see that that sort of Bitcoin is there to eat fiat currencies completely, but it's about offering a market-based alternative to people and allowing you to choose whether you're going to go, whether you want to use and own central bank uh, backed and issued currencies or whether you're going to or whether you want to kind of own a currency that is that is controlled by the market you know there's there's this really great book um by jacob goldstein who is one of the original planet money podcast contributors and that was one of the thing. you know this video essay makes a big point about um how a lot of uh crypto was kind of born by the global financial meltdown uh, caused by the housing crisis and planet money is one of those things that was born out of that as well and this book money is great i i really recommend the um the audiobook of it if you like audiobooks like i am and one of the points it makes is that whatever money is at any one point 
seems natural and like it's always existed and like it's the one way and whatever money could be or used to be seems crazy and as an example like it used to be in the american west that every bank had their own currency and like you would go if you were traveling across uh the frontier i might have uh mishka coins and i would go mm-hmm. and i would get to tell you know somewhere and i would go to anton who is the banker and he would pull out a book and like the amount of the local currency he would give me based on the currency i had for this other bank was partially what was in the book and partially the distance that other bank was away from where i was and how risky it would be to go use that currency and and at the time that seemed perfectly natural to people right and so like i i always go back to this that money isn't real money's an invention it's a it's a technology and that like money is imaginary. And when I tell that to people, they'll say something like, yeah, well it is now that we're not on the gold standard. I'm like, yeah, but gold is also useless. Like, are you actually doing anything that requires a soft malleable metal with high electronic, uh, (laughs) transmission? No, you're not. You're, you don't need to plate any electronics today. Then what value does gold have gold only has the value we ascribe to it because we believe in it or we desire it and digital assets and cryptocurrencies are are no different right it's just a new expression of this thing where we we all choose to believe in something and because we believe in it 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 has value um sorry i'll i'll take my my tinfoil hat off for a second um (laughs) one of the i you know i say like there's a lot there's a lot i agree with in the video essay uh for example i'm not as i already said not the biggest fan of bitcoin and here's a quote from the criticism of bitcoin uh with the way it's technologically set up right he says uh with the mining uh sorry i should uh, silence that uh critics point out that this created new problems uh adversarial adversarial validation would deliberately incur escalating processing costs which in turn generate perverse structural incentives that would quickly reward capital holders and lock out any individuals that weren't already obscenely wealthy because while the escalating proof of work scheme incurs heavily diminishing returns diminishing returns are still returns so more would always go to those with the resources to build the bigger rig and he also says something like blockchains, and he's mostly talking about Bitcoin, in my opinion. Blockchains are pretty bad at doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. Um, and I agree with fully with both of those. Like, there's, you know, even if it was you were capable of it, I don't think Bitcoin is a good technology or a good platform on which to build entertainment applications. Um, and I wish that uh, uh, proof of work mining was. Uh, basically legally prevented from happening i think it's a giant stupid waste of energy in the world um, i mean the criticism criticism is valid there say from, also from the point of view as, as as he as he mentioned that the incentives are a bit twisted in that way mm-hmm. as um obviously it gets as more and more people try to solve the equations uh, that, that bitcoin presents to them in order for them to win to win the block rewards, uh, it's 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 directly correlated with how much electricity you're spending as you have more computers trying to solve solve those issues, uh, and um, well, and that then leads the centralization aspect comes from the fact that sort of for you to not only grow 
basically your own operations, you bring other miners also into your operation. And this is the concept of mining pools. I want to talk about them. And, and um, it, it is a couple of global mining pools that do get most of these block rewards. And, and they are these are the pools that, that kind of uh, make sure that Bitcoin is as, as secure as it is, because this also makes it big Bitcoin the biggest bug bounty in the world. Uh, yeah. In a sense that if you manage to hack Bitcoin, you're going to be the richest person in the world, most likely. Uh, and um, but given given that if, if if you would have to be spending more computational power than all of these miners, or more than fifty percent of what is being what is being used on the network to to hack that, so in theory it's 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 uh, it's impossible, more or less impossible uh, to hack from that perspective. In terms of kind of his point about. Uh, chains are pretty bad at doing doing the things they're supposed to be doing. I think that's a bit of a blanket statement. He's uh, mm -hmm. he's pulling all blockchains in the same bucket. Yeah. Uh, whereas these have very different use cases, and we don't need to spend too much. I think we agree on this uh, this topic. He isn't maybe seeing seeing the forest from the trees there, or not at least actively trying to, and and looking at it from 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 kind of very simple use cases that could be very well. I mean, we've all seen that. People are using blockchains to, to using to solving stuff that could work very well on a, on a single database. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah. I think it's it's a different it's, it's a different question on, on you know what are the new things you can do with that, yeah. with an open shared database that has a that has a coordination mechanism. It doesn't need to be siloed. Uh, another big topic of the video essay is the scamminess and the many layers of scams that happen within um, the blockchain space. Um, and I think, you know, whether we're talking about rug pull NFTs, uh, generate like Pudgy Penguins, I think was kind of a rug pull recently, um, or Pixelmon, which is like game projects that raise a bunch of money and then they have their reveal. And um, someone suggested to me, I write about Pixelmon because they raised like $70 million and then they're, game assets were revealed and they looked uh, very disappointing and it's been a big um, it, it lit up a bunch of telegram groups that I'm in yeah. uh, with people being like what a disaster um, and and I, I agree like one I don't I believe in blockchain for its use for in-game assets and for replacing the type of digital economies that we've been building and operating in free to play so like that's kind of the very specific use case and I personally do not buy into any or very few a generative art projects with no utility because it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. A lot of time the art doesn't appeal to me. And I think that a lot of them I agree, there are so many scams out there, and the scams have the ability to destroy the potential of this technology, right? If it turns user sentiment and regulation in the wrong way. So I, I agree with all the scam criticism in the video. Yeah, I would say it's <clears throat> obviously condem condemning all of the scams as well and seeing it's very unfortunate that there is, there is a lot of these scams going on. And, and also, kind of as, as he was mentioning, you have a, a lot of these profile picture projects that go on and raise everything between a few hundred K up to tens of millions with the promise of at some point delivering a fully fledged 3D MMO. Uh, yeah. And um, I think... This has been commonplace also from from a play ventures perspective. As, as, um, You've a seen of, a lot of a, a lot really of, bad a lot pitches. Of from, a lot of inbound from teams that don't have game making or don't have game making capabilities mm -hmm. on the teams, but they have the funding. 
right. and now only only need game game developers in, inside. <laughs> All they need is it's so easy, uh, Mishka. As you know, it's so easy to make a video game. <laughs> to be honest, to be honest, like when we're talking about these these games that are, you know, somewhat successful in the in the um, in the sphere, let's say games like Panzer Dog. Mm-hmm. No offense. These are not very complicated yeah. games to build. And I would argue that getting even an outsourcing partner to build some of these extremely simple games with an assumption that you have your internal team that can build a platform and has a lot of blockchain and economics experience is a potential, you yeah. know, a potentially working solution yeah. because the game but, itself but, but here, is but, not But here again, set. I think why someone like Lucky Cat and, and their their approach with mm-hmm. Panzer Dogs makes sense is is that we're still so early here and that's always something the crypto people will tell you all the time. We're still very early, but yeah. I mm-hmm. can't sort of underline enough how, how early <laughs> this still is. Obviously I'm biased as well. But um but that ties into kind of what products should we push to market? Does it now make sense to spend three to five years on development or even two to three years on development on a game before you get to test the market, see what the user sentiment is? Are people actually playing those games? So I think I find interesting to follow these more arcade-like approaches that, that come from people mm-hmm. with arcade background, uh, hyper-casual background, casual background, and putting more lighter products on the market, testing with different NFTs, testing with different tokens, see what see what the users think as um and even even though if those teams wouldn't be the right ones who are going to build kind of the mid-core successes of what's going to happen hopefully going to happen in this space it serves as food for thought for all the other other developers as well that are following the space more more, that come mostly from free to play uh and really want to get into the weeds understand what's happening and it's it i I think it's valuable to get products out to the market right now see what what what, 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 what the answer or basically what what the response is and then it kind of gets iterated again that and, the next wave of games will look very different. And with, with my background and your background and experience, writing a design document for Panzer Dogs, taking it to Amber and having it outsourced and managing the production of it, that's a fairly simple task for you or I yeah. or anyone who's super experienced. If I think of myself at 22, you know, college student whose experience on game development was like, getting taquitos and buffalo chicken wings for the team crunching bugs like i would have had no idea how to do that and so there's a thing that even what is to the listeners who are experienced game developers what is a fairly simple game if you if you're coming with no base of knowledge it's it's not easy to make even a simple one um yeah, yeah, correct. You're, you're I, you know, the the main thing I want to talk about, so I've talked a lot about the different parts of the video essay that I agreed with or that I liked. Um, the, the one that I think uh, is probably worth the most discussion is this, is him saying, all of crypto is a bigger fool scam. The whole operates by buying worthless assets, believing that you will later be able to sell them to a bigger fool. The entire structure of cryptocurrencies at their basic level of operation is designed to deliver the greatest rewards to the early adopters. So I've got a lot of responses to this, and I'm kind of eager to hear what you guys think. Um, I guess I'd, I'd put it in in like two or three buckets uh, one is, is all of crypto a bigger fool scam? I mean, in my mind, this is no different than venture investment or stock. Like any form of investing 
requires some people to put in money at one time and some other people to put in money at another time in order for fiat currencies to come out. So, like, if you believe that uh, Savage raising money from Play Ventures for stock and then Savage going and doing a SPAC and raising money basically from retail investors, if that is a scam, which I I can see the philosophical viewpoint that it's a scam, then yes, crypto is also a scam. But in my mind, the the nature of crypto uh, itself is no different than how we fund many other entrepreneurial endeavors or investments. Hmm. Um, And and, and there I think that the co- the typical counter argument from from someone who doesn't share that view would be that okay well tokens are not productive assets they don't represent ownership in in in, in productive companies that have real cash flows etc but i think that's or it is it is misinformation uh, i think it's again all about kind of bucketing everything in the same obviously there's a lot of what you would call shit coins that mainly tie right. into into something into a blockchain that really doesn't do anything but and then again, Bitcoin is essentially only it's it's gonna it's a currency. It's 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 the the, the long term picture. It's a store of value. It doesn't bring that much more to the table. But if we look at Ethereum and all of and many of the key protocols that are built on Ethereum that have their own tokens, they actually produce a service that people are willing to pay for. Uh, be it yeah. either be it either kind of obviously Ethereum being being the consensus layer is it uniswap that provides uh provides an, a decentralized exchange that already on a daily basis has more trading volume than, than several of the nasdaq exchanges uh spread out globally uh and um again as i'm a to- disclaimer i'm a token holder in many of these key DeFi protocols but if i go to an analytics platform like token terminal for example where where their analytics is very much focused on uh, on actually looking at the fundamentals of these protocols and these crypto networks, um, there you find a dashboard and you can see how much revenue these protocols are doing on a daily basis to their token holders. So a lot of this is basically what we've gone through with with different company structures also previously. Uh, and um, in my belief, a, a well-designed token is actually very similar to a, to a stock or security in a company in a sense. It's not about kind of creating, obviously due to their liquidity profile, it's easy to look at them as currencies, but but a a well-designed token would be more representative of of the upside within a certain crypto protocol. To that point I made earlier about how whatever we consider money seems natural, like let's just like stocks, let's say Berkshire Hathaway, Right. Like I own some mm-hmm. Berkshire Hathaway shares. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the two you do. It's Warren Buffett's company. It's one of the most famous and like, OK, so at some point I own I bought some Berkshire Hathaway and currently I could sell that to somebody else for more. And in the years that I've owned it, they've never paid a dividend. And yes, Berkshire Hathaway owns many companies and those companies own land and they own leases and intellectual property and all sorts of things. But Berkshire Hathaway, like unless you own enough stock to be 
a board of like a board of directors level investment like if you own less than five percent of the total company let's say i i don't know what the real number is here like if you're just a joe schmo like me berkshire hathaway is under no obligation to ever give me any dividend or any financial benefit they can do whatever they want with all their assets and there's no end right like activision blizzard is going to have an end where people get a payout or at least get a conversion to Microsoft. But mm-hmm. is Microsoft ever going to have an end? Like s- publicly traded companies are not structured in a way that someday they go, okay, we're selling off Microsoft now. And now we're distributing everything to everybody who owns the stock. Like it, stocks operate, you know, when, when somebody buys a stock, it's, it's no different than buying crypto. Like you're not going to get, you, you don't, actually control that company in any meaningful way shape or form unless you are ultra ultra wealthy sorry that's my my totally bizarre soapbox no but the similarities are there and um, yeah i'm confident that the, the narrative will also go into that direction in the next couple of years when people realize that it's it's essentially that a well-designed token is a stock on steroids yeah and it's programmable it's directly on the internet instead of in some shareholder register somewhere else and and it's and obviously depending on the protocol depending on the product it's directly enforceable but if if stockholders vote for something they're dependent on on the management and the board uh, to execute that and obviously if, if they don't comply then obviously there's a there is the justice system to make sure something goes through but but um yeah I'd say we're talking about the next evolution of how companies are built right. and structured. I, I want to touch on that. I know, Anton, you've got to go soon. Um, so let me try and jam my mm-hmm. early adopter thing in. Um, this, to me, is one of the benefits, one of the reasons I believe in the power of crypto. So I've, I've brought up this example of the 2019 network uh, GamesBeat article where we said Legendary's done $250 million in revenue. And then in the same article, we say we've spent $100 million in UA. And so to attract players to our game, we've spent nearly half of all revenue on advertising. And that money goes primarily to Google and to Facebook, the people who own the advertising networks that can get our product in front of people's eyeballs so that they might um, download it and play it and spend money inside of it. And what I like about crypto in its use for games, and I actually have like a bunch of other ideas about different businesses that it could transform, is that um, you can take that same marketing cost that it takes realistically to launch any new entrepreneurial adventure, except one that goes super viral, and you can bring those gains to the people who believe in you early as opposed to just spending them all on Google and Facebook. Right. I can uh, I could launch an ad network where any viewer who believes in it and wants to put their eyeballs in front of it can pre-sell their eyeballs for tokens. And then an advertiser basically has to buy that time from them instead of from me as an example. Or I can, you know, build my early community by giving them tokens and NFTs as a reward and like I, I just look at it as a way to reward the player directly and align a player's incentives and the deve- operator's incentives and potentially cut out the advertising platforms, right? I, I think it's 
properly executed, it's a very democratic marketing um, mechanism. Mm. And eventually, I think the more casual the audience becomes, I think at some point, some, some version of performance marketing will have its role as well. If the market gets a bit more saturated, there's more products on the market, we're going more yeah. mainstream. But, um, but as, as you say, you're kind of solving or there is evidence that you're solving for that kind of kickstarting the user base, kickstarting the community, getting them aligned, getting some virality in the beginning, obviously for different reasons that has to be acknowledged, but at least there is activity around it. And then I think it's up, it's up to the developer to build something that's engaging and lasting and sustainable. Um, but um, it does solve some of those early, early problems with UA, but, but I think at some point, some some version of performance marketing will still kick in, but I think we're a few few years still away from that because um we need to get need to get the data stack in order as well for that. All right, I I go ahead, Mishka. So summaries from from the uh, like like why why should why should people watch this two and a half hour um, YouTube documentary? Um, I think there's a lot of good history there. It's it's worth it, it's a really good method of understanding a certain viewpoint and criticism on crypto and there's a lot of well thought out valid argumentation um there's it's funny there's some some good jokes in it some are a little uh too far even for me um but i think it's really important you know if if you're a believer it's important to harden your understanding with opposing viewpoints so if you're a believer like me i think it was really valuable to listen to it and understand what the nature of, of some of these uh, anti-crypto uh, arguments are. Um, there's a bunch of history I learned, and I think it, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's good to challenge your thinking and, and good to learn, and there's a lot of history in here. As long as it's not the only resource you cite when you make up your mind on whether this makes sense or not. Yeah. So also listen to also listen to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I, I know Anton, you've got to go, so let's let's close it out with new hotness. Um, new hotness. What do you... um, shameless plug: my my Evaverse NFTs um, and their associated Evaverse hoverboards, which were <laughs> dropped to the Evaverse characters, are getting an increasing amount of bids currently on OpenSea. You're I'm trying not, to a... you're trying to pump your a... NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this section for pumping our own bags? Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> right. So... Uh, that's funny uh mishka do you do you own any nfts yet uh no <laughs> i don't own any nft but um uh, new hotness is the air app so this is the uh the app that was launched was it yesterday or today it's the uh the michael jordan oh. uh six rings nft new hotness type of a thing so there's um uh, there's a early access, limited edition NFT grants collectors early access to the upcoming experiences launching on air, along with other exclusive perks and benefits. So according to uh, this company, it's like a digital uh, platform with athletes and their fans. And you can get early access with 2.3 Solanas, which is, you know, a shy over 200 bucks. And um, you basically get the, uh, the picture of this bowl with six rings. <laughs> and um, I guess we're doing. I, this I grew up in nowadays, I grew up so. in Chicago during the three peat era. So that's yeah. uh, I actually lived yeah. down the street from Michael Jordan for a while before he moved into his mega mansion. Nice. When he lived in like a normal suburban <laughs> home, 
Um, I've got some funny stories about that. Anyways, uh, I I bought two Prime Eternals uh, from Champions Ascensions, the Jam City uh, early presale. Um, as I said, if you're an industry veteran, join the Deconstructor Fun Slack. You can see our live blogging. I'm hoping to actually take uh, the things that I learned and Ina learned and, and hopefully turn them into a future newsletter and blog post and even get some Jam City people onto the podcast to, to post more to this presale. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot for us to learn. Uh, final plug, uh, Mishka, really great work on that um, newsletter article and on putting yourself out oh, there you. and talking about geopolitics and in, in your own uh, history. And I think that was... Uh, yeah, so I, I think I'm gonna put it out on uh, on the blog. Okay. Like a lot of people uh, liked it. You re- I don't think you wrote you read the final version. Not yet. You you read the I, uh, the, uh, the yeah. pre-edit version. It was it was a harsh one. Luckily, I have a uh, <laughs> I have a I have a good people to soften up my corners. Right. <laughs> so so it was uh, the final one came out. Actually, I've gotten a lot of good feedback, and especially from uh, from a lot a lot of Russian people in the industry, um, just kind of thanking for humanizing. Russians, which is very important when you're in conflict. We're talking about people, we're talking about humans, and it's very easy to say that those guys are evil and those guys are good. We did that with Serbians, now we're doing it with Russians, um, we did it with Iraqis, Afghans, so it's it's easy to bomb people who are, not bomb, or just attack people who are not considered as people, but just evil, and that's never the case. Yeah. So, Look yeah. at me. A man of peace. On, <laughs> this is what 40 feels like. Uh, on that note, that is <laughs> tokenomic. One more thing. Check out, check out the, yeah. the Deconstructor Fun event in Istanbul. We also yeah. had the, oh, the great yes. folks of Delphi Digital joining me to discuss discuss blockchain gaming in, in every form. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So we have a full blockchain panel. Not, it's not a panel. A blockchain fireside chat hosted by beautiful Anton Bachmann and his his trio of guests that he uh, invited to Istanbul. So shout out to Google for, for arranging this. And um, that, that's going to not cap it off. The, the, it, will, it will cap off the, uh, the official portion of the event, after which we go into a live twig. So Ethan, too bad. You got three kids. <laughs> Otherwise, I might try. I might fly a, over a for this. <laughs> uh, just to get. I want to get <laughs> sweared at in public. It'll be fun. All right. Goodbye, friends. That's tokenomics right. number five in the bag. Boom. Done.